Live Sound Bootcamp, brought to you by Rational Acoustics, developer of SMART, the industry's leading sound system measurement and optimization platform. Welcome to another episode of Live Sound Bootcamp. I'm Brendan Draper, here with my co-hosts, Joe Santarpia and Ryan John. And today we're here to uh, help all of you mixers out there get out of some sticky situations. <laughs> I feel like there was supposed to be a pun with sticky, very specifically, but yeah. then there just no, wasn't? It, no, it's there. Uh, think about it. I think, yeah. Joe, you got it? I, I'm trying. I mean, are, are you me thinking there. of like gross bars and how the floors are always sticky? Well, that's, that's not as much of a pun. No, that's, that's just a, a truth. Are you thinking of like trudging through speakers sewage? on sticks? Speakers on sticks. Oh, oh the it. sticky situation. The oh sticky man. Situation. Okay. I'm I'm glad you didn't tell us that that's what your intro is going to be because this bit of conversation was the best part of that. That was good. It was yeah. too good. Yeah. You, yeah. You, I was you, trying you to figure it out. One. I like that. Nailed it. So, <laughs> why don't you lay out what we're actually talking about? All right. So today we are going to start talking about. Um, you know, situations where you're working on a PA that is smaller than you would like to have or is... So all the time. All yeah. the, oh, we got a friend. We got he some agrees. Doge. Hold, right. He agrees. Hold, Hold Doge. But, but, but Hold. when is someone not working on a PA smaller than they want? Uh, when you're in like a, you know, giant... When you're at a giant festival outdoors and there's no room to compete against and you've got 24 boxes aside of J-Series and another fucking 30 subs or something you know then are, then are you, then, then you're are usually you saying pretty you good. don't want 100 boxes i'm saying i do say, wait <laughs> i'm confused what do we what do we? i was gonna say when you're ryan john because they bring you what you want you know yeah when you're at that level you should lay the uh, hammer down fuck yeah that's technically true although even then i request like a million boxes of pa and they only bring a half a million mm. and it's like only okay you just flash <laughs> the tour pass you just say do you see this do you know who i think i am yeah do you know who I'm sort of traveling with at the moment, currently? Sort of, do, yeah, exactly. Currently, kind of. Kind of. <laughs> do you know who, the, who they, the artist is that might know my name? Look, they don't know who I am, but if I raise hell right now, then they'll probably fire me. So, <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I, we might have some pull now that we have, like, you know, a few hundred listens per week on the podcast. Dude, yeah, yeah. Now, now that we're podcast hosts, people might actually listen to us. We right? might get some respect. Wait, wait, people literally listen to us. This is amazing. Yeah, th- thank you to everyone who s- somehow is like, yeah, getting through these miraculously. <laughs> Mir- it, it's, it's hard enough for us. Alive at the end of twenty-seven episodes, yeah. how many this has been? Yeah, it no, seems like a lot more, to be honest. It's, it's been yeah, a while. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. We've been doing this for over a year now, right? Yeah, I hope. Ev- and this is like we're kind of on the the precipice of coming back to live events, you know. Which is also, I think, why this is the last episode for season one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the details of what season two are going to be when we start it, because I think as of right now, we have no idea what we're going to do with the rest There's of it. There's some stuff written down, but... Okay. Right. I think he's... <laughs> okay. We don't know what the future holds, except kind of. So what we do know is what the next 40 minutes or whatever of your life holds. So what are we really talking about? We're talking about mixing on systems that are... Too damn underpowered small. Underpowered or smaller than you need or smaller than you want, which is basically all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know. Joe, give me an example of like a scenario like this. Uh, uh, right where Brendan started it, you know, speakers on sticks, a small club with a tiny PA. Uh, yeah, just any, any scenario where the amount of sound that you're able to create with your system is is less than either the band performing themselves, just like the sound of them on stage or, you know, the environment that it's in. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. The, uh, 20,000 screaming girls. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, they can be tough. Yeah. The extreme scenario of that is, yeah. Showing up to like an arena with, yeah, 20,000 screaming people and having two JBL Eons on sticks, you know, you're, what are you going to do? You're screwed. <laughs> yeah. 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 You I mean, turn those up all day and, it's not going to help. That's I mean, it. I have been in a room where like it was like a K-pop band and I was doing front of house for it and the decibel level of the screaming went over the big 
one hundred percent the line array over at uh yeah yeah no I I do want to make a point when you're in a spot like that and the screaming is one hundred fifteen a weighted you know you're not gonna get the PA louder than that and theoretically you maybe you can. But it's not good for anybody. No, no, you don't want. And do that's that. that is the screaming is the show. You know, that's part of the show. That's part of why they're everyone's there. And I think that kind of leads into like the beginning you know, of this. Yeah, yeah. What what does the audience expect to hear? You know, in any of these given situations. Aspe- yeah. Right. Right. So you know, I've 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 done a lot of big shows. I've done a lot of small shows, and I've done a lot of small shows in between really big shows too. And that's where it gets really really interesting, right? So. I remember uh, I did a gig where it was Jesse J, and we played in a little bar in Long Island, right? And the whole audience is very well-off people expecting some very intimate and personal experience. And they know this is a really limited environment, right? I mean, it's like a bar, and Jess usually plays, you know, arenas, stadiums, outdoor festivals, that kind of stuff, right? So it's obviously not going to be the same, especially... From my perspective, I can't do the same because the speakers on sticks, literally in this gig, uh, would never have been able to put out the show that we normally do. But, you know, in this case, we've got an audience that's expecting something similar, but also is expecting a very intimate experience. And because they're expecting a really intimate experience, you can kind of tailor what you're giving them in this PA and in this show to make it seem like a more intimate experience, as opposed to this like super duper polished, really clean big arena show mm-hmm. yeah you know yeah. what i mean yeah no yeah. no one wants their heads blown off in a bar you know with just right. with with 120 db you know a weighted it's just it's 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 out of context you know and that yeah who else uh who else uh in in the gig world might have some sort of expectation uh the people paying for the show yeah you know uh someone might just go we're only gonna spend blah 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 dollars on audio but we expect this to be this arena show type sounding craziness. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing happens a lot, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would also say, like, you know, in in environments where the band isn't necessarily like the focal point or like the the point of the event, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, some another some outdoor corporate things. Yeah, corporate things or some other outdoor festival that's not necessarily a music festival. And there just happens to be a little band in the corner. You know, there's other stuff going on. Again, you don't need to blow people's head off. Right, or the acoustic band playing on the corner outside, or like, uh, I don't know, you're sitting at a fancy winery or something, and there's someone playing in the corner. It's totally different expectations yeah, know, from yeah. each of those scenarios. So I, I guess I guess one of the points of what we're trying to say here is you need to know your audience expectations in order to build mm-hmm. uh, your show to kind of fit that. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. And, and, and even above that, the, the people who are paying for it, like... And and I'll be honest. Sometimes those two things don't align. It's true. Sometimes your your you know you, the the pocketbook is is paying for something and expecting, I don't know. I mean, let's use this winery example, right? Let's pretend it's a fancy winery, right? And someone's going up to play. The person paying for this might go, okay, we're going to keep this quiet and calm. It's going to be mellow. But then the artist that's playing is like. I don't know, hardcore gangster rap or something like that. The people coming for that are going to have a totally different expectation of what this might feel like mm-hmm. versus the purchaser in that in that example. And it goes the other way too, you know? Yeah. 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 So who do you listen to? Ah, oh, man. At the end of the day, is that's a tough one. It, it is a that tough is one. That is tough, yeah. I tend to lean towards listening to the audience and seeing what they are expecting mm-hmm. because even if I do something that the person paying for this wants, if people leave complaining... It's gonna fall on me at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. Whereas it's, it's if people your... leave going, "This is amazing," yeah, and, and especially if we're talking about from an audio perspective only, then even if the promoter's like, "Oh, it should have been louder," or whatever or whatever it may be, people walk out going, "This is the best I've ever had in this. Uh, this is the best experience I've ever had in this space," or whatever, you know. Yeah, I guess I guess finding a balance, you know, can't please everyone all the time, but you can try. Yeah, you can yeah. you can try to try to figure out the expectations from. Before you get in there, or when you get there, you know, for sure, and then yeah. try to exceed them depending on what the limitations are, right? Like, yeah, you know, we're talking totally. about speakers on sticks, and if we got a loud band, you know, there's only so much you can do to like provide sound support for that, right? Right. Like, yeah. Well, and the other thing is, you can actually be kind of particular and picky about who hears what, right? You could on purpose if if you're 
promoter is expecting something quieter and mellower, you could on purpose move the subs to somewhere where the dance floor is so that your promoter is seated in some spot that's maybe mellower, but the dance floor is still getting that, that big, boomy experience. You could be quite aware of that. Yeah. Or if you have extra speakers that are maybe a VIP area, you can tailor the experience for that VIP area to align with their expectations and then tailor the experience for, you know, the front row to be completely different than that, you know? Absolutely. That that translates stuff you can do. That translates to bigger venues too. You'll have bar feeds or this feeds or that feeds and and again if if someone's at the bar trying to order a drink, they're not necessarily trying to get their their freaking skull rocked, so, you know, mm-hmm. a level appropriately, you know, adjust necessarily. Yeah, like make, yeah, definitely <laughs> make sure that's necessarily. necessarily. Well, the bartenders sure Depends don't. Depends what they're ordering. You want the them to be able to. <laughs> you yeah. want them to be able to get the drink order in. All right, you know, right. that's right. the alcohol fuels everything. You got to make sure that that's flowing. The alcohol fuels the skull rock. You know. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we keep using this term "speakers on sticks." What What is that? Yeah, you talk. Yeah, you're talking about like two smaller, you know, between 12, 10 and fifteen inch powered speakers, um, self powered speakers. Um, that are literally uh, set up on tripod stands. You know, this isn't some big fancy hung line array or even ground stacked, like, you know, heavy duty rig. We're talking about something that's literally on a flimsy tripod stand. <laughs> and, uh, right. you know, you just you set it up wherever, you know, put it in, put it in your living room. And sometimes it's not a tripod. Sometimes it might be a stick going into the subwoofer. So right. the sub's on the bottom, then there's a stick coming out, and then there's a quote-unquote main on top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the luxury of a sub, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, just like in these situations, like knowing your speakers, you know, look up what the, dis- like the, the angle of dispersion is on your small speakers. Because that is actually, I mean, that's helped me a lot in the past in these small small room situations. You know, I've I've... I've had to do a show where we just had the subs with like the the one stick on top, mm-hmm. and just knowing that it had like a certain angle, I was able to I had two of them, and I just like angled them in a certain way so it was just hitting mostly the dance floor and not spraying out exactly to the sides of the room. You know, you know, yeah. you don't always have to point them straight out. You know, they're not like made to do that, or yeah. that's not optimal. Well, That aligns with with the concept of knowing your audience expectations, right? So in that context, your expectation is that the people on the dance floor want this to be rocking. Mm -hmm. People over here might not, right? So if you know that, you can optimize the way your system is set up for that. Make sure things are pointed in the right place. I I know that sounds stupid to say because it seems obvious, but somehow it's not that obvious. Mm -hmm. Somehow things are often pointed like just where they don't need to be. Especially if you're carrying the the stuff in and setting it up yourself, you know, yeah, it tends to maybe get overlooked sometimes. You know, you're you're wiring everything. You're trying to keep track of all the signal flow. You're setting up your console, you know, your snakes, you're pinning everything, you know. Even even if like someone walks by and bumps it, it might get turned you know, it might get turned, you know, that's how those, the sticks work sometimes, you know? So, uh, yeah. And it, yeah. It's, it's kind of like basically point the speakers at the heads of the people who need to hear it the best, that's the idea. you know? Yeah. I mean, that's kind pretty, of pretty like much. what I think usually. Now, now regarding speakers on sticks, they're, they're tough to deal with. Right. But one thing I really don't like is if you have a reasonably large audience area, very often, I'll see a speaker on stick basically set up at someone's head height. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You I'm, know, glad, you, I'm glad you're talking about this. Yeah. To me, where this becomes a huge problem is that if there's someone standing in front of that speaker, first of all, they're going deaf. <laughs> Second of all, they're blocking all the sound for everyone else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you have the option and the ability, if you can raise that just above that, that head height, mm-hmm. average head height, you'll be able to hit more people. Yeah. And it, it, it's going to make a big difference. Totally. You know, and, and that's tough sometimes. You know, if you have like one of those big three-way uh, speaker, you know, powered speakers, uh, getting, you know, putting the tripod up that high with something that heavy on the top, that's it's a little sketchy. So you know, mm-hmm. you know, be creative. Use sandbags or ratchet straps or something like that. If there's a stage, you know, put the put the sticks on the stage straight up. You know, to to, yeah, to give them a little bit more, you know, a little bit more height. No, one thing to to note with what you just said though is low frequencies are pretty much go through people. So, you know, with those three-way speakers, usually the bottom-most driver is the big one, so it's, you know, lower frequencies. And then mm-hmm. it's, you know, mid-range above that and tweeter above that, right? Yeah. So high frequency at the top, you know, et cetera. So if you can't get it high enough that that low is blasting through somebody, it's kind of okay because that, that sound will go through them. It'll be okay. It's right. really the high frequency, the tweeter, 
that's going to get totally blocked if there's a head in front of it. Yeah. So be sure to keep that above uh, people if you can. Th- thank you for clarifying. Yeah, and I, I was thinking more often and not, you know, I, I mean, in my experience, like, in these situations, a lot of times I'm dealing with a loud band versus small PA, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, getting the high-end frequencies, like, audible to everybody is super important because mostly what I'm putting through that PA is vocals, right? Mm-hmm. Right. You need to hear the intelligibility of the vocals. So, yeah, that's super important to to point them yeah, and, 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 and raise them up. most of the clarity, most of the clarity comes from the upper frequency range, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you can push stuff through at, at you know lower frequency stuff people will hear it but they're not necessarily going to hear it as clear or close to them or present or any of those words that you know people would use to describe this so mm-hmm. if you can optimize getting that high end and that clarity to all the ears then i think you kind of are optimizing the most you can get out of that kind of system yeah right plus the smaller systems tend not to be able to push a lot of weight if you will yeah you know, you're not necessarily going to get a lot of meat out mm-hmm. of it. Right, right. So let's talk about loud bands. I mean, Brendan, you've dealt with this a lot, Joe. I mm-hmm. imagine you have too. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So what's what's the number one killer for, for you, Brendan? Like, what's the hardest thing you're usually fighting with with a loud band? Either guitar amps or cymbals, I guess. Just because those okay. are, you know. Bass amps. Yeah. <laughs> Bass amps, yeah. I, I, I guess I'm thinking, like, versus vocals in the room. Mm-hmm. Right. So I guess if I'm, if I'm going to name, it's, well... It's also the room itself, you know. I'm also fighting against that with a loud band. Well, that, that's, that's, that's that's a good one thing. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> everything. is One thing is everything. Yeah. Great. Yeah. All right. Well, wh- why don't we start? With, let's, yeah. let's start with the first one. All right. Guitar amps, right? Yeah. 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 What, what's, what's your usual solution here? I mean, during sound check, I'll see how low, it, depending on, like, what the situation is. Like, if I know I don't want to, like, blow out the room, then hopefully get them to like play them at a reasonable level. But, you know, barring that, then see if we can point them up so the guitar players can hear them better. Yeah, those little kickback Yeah, things. the kickbacks yeah. or like a sandbag or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. That way, you know, they're hearing themselves way better and they're not like asking for like a ton of guitar in their monitors when it's like a small, I don't know, <laughs> like winery and i'm like i i don't have the mon- or either i don't have monitors or i have like a tiny little you know 10 inch monitor and i'm like right you're not going to be able to get all the vocal plus that guitar plus guitar a kick yeah. chicken yeah. snare through God. there it's it's just not going to happen yeah and honestly that's the same battle with front of house in small spaces too mm-hmm. right yeah. so Absolutely. go ahead go ahead brendan i didn't mean to cut you off no there. no it's 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 good yeah i, I mean what else so, you know, with guitar amps for me, right, it's the same same thing you just said, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and get them to turn it down. Um, if it's an artist I know really well, that's not going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. If they're on ears, it's definitely not a problem. We can sort it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's an artist I don't know very well or if it's an artist that's not on ears, yeah, that's a fun even if I ask them to turn it down, I also need to know that at some point during the show, it might come right back up. And I might not be able to stop the event to get them to <laughs> bring it back down again, right? Yeah. Yeah, so given that, yeah, that, you got to kind of... That's a fun indicator ahead. of how the rest of your day is going to go, you know? Once, right. once you have... Like, if you have to have that conversation... Oh, the thing yeah. is, though, you know, it's it's not that people do it on purpose to screw you as a sound guy. No, that's of course. That's not it, yeah, right? Yeah. That's not their intention. It's, it's that they're used to hearing it that way, mm-hmm. and it the way they're hearing it is a sound that they like. Yeah. And you there's know? there's tone. I mean, you know, you drive yeah. those tubes and, you know, it sounds it sounds better than when it's low and, yeah, not breaking up as much. You know, so so given that, if you've got a bunch of guitar, let's say you've kicked it back or something, at that point you can actually put some in the house, right? Yeah. Otherwise, mm-hmm. if it's blasting out into the crowd, you're kind of limited. You kind of don't get to put much in the house because yeah. it's, it's yeah. already there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean I mean yeah, in these situations usually the guitar amp's going to be more power it could be more powerful than the PA itself, yeah. you know, yeah, depending exactly. on what the yeah. amp is. So. And and what happens is it goes back to what you were saying Ryan about the low end traveling and the high frequencies not really. So you wind up in the back of the room with this like disgusting mush of of too loud guitar amp and there's mm-hmm. no definition, there's no clarity to it. Mm-hmm. And right. you you know yeah. So Yeah, the the tricky thing too is like say you do have a packed room of people with a small PA and you're in the back and you start to not be able to hear the guitar because there's so many bodies and you start putting in the PA, then the front row is really going to be crushed Just because their heads ripped off. <laughs> yeah. They're getting the guitar plus the guitar and the PA. You can hear it. People in the back can hear it, but like, you know, it's a, 
So one thing, one thing I've found works pretty well. Um, you know, if you kick back an amp, that's great. It mm-hmm. points up towards the player's head. But if they have a vocal microphone, it also mm. points into their microphones. That gets pretty tough. Yeah. Right? yeah. Also, guitar players, and this is not a wide swath of everybody, but most of them aren't used to kicking back the amp. They're mm-hmm. used to hearing kind of the low end going past their knees and mm-hmm. like that little bit of bleed of it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the tone they like. So given that, um, what I'll sometimes ask a guitar player to do is instead of putting it on the back line pointing into the crowd, I'd put it to their left or to their right, pointing across the stage. Mm-hmm. Then they still get a bunch of volume. The player on the other side of the stage is the one who gets to yell at them, go, turn down your guitar amp. Yeah. This is killing me. Yeah. Then I don't get yelled at for doing exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, you put you put the band against each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let and then them they break up out. a month later. Yeah. It's all because they no, couldn't but, take it. But, but, but then the front row is not getting decimated, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't like killing my front row, you know, as, as, as much as it's like, as much as those faces might block some of the sound, it makes it a little better for me. Mm-hmm. It still sucks for them. And I don't want their experience to suck. Yeah. Were you about to say something, Joe? No, no, no. I was going to say, you. sometimes they want to die. That's that, that is true. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes like that's actually what is exciting is being in the front row. You just have this pure SPL and yeah. volume and energy. And it's like, if, if it's the kind of music where that energy and volume is like part of the experience, then yeah, I get it. But anyways, it, it always makes it challenging from a mix perspective to have like, it's even worse if you have a guitar amp on one side and a guitar amp on the other side, and the guitar amp on one side is hitting you right in the face in front of the house, but the one on the other side isn't. Now you have no idea the balance yeah. in the audience of like which one who's hearing, right? Yeah, yeah, it makes for a bizarre anyways, experience. Yeah, I, I try to get them to point them across the stage, thus I have more control. Now there's still going to be a bunch of low rolling into the the audience from it, but if we're in a scenario of limited PA. I'm going to take lows out of a lot of things because the PA itself is going to be pretty limited in the lows and low mids anyways, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Two birds with one stone. It kind of goes back to what you were saying, Brendan, you know, the 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 clarity. Mm-hmm. What I want to give the audience is the clarity part. And if I can get a little bit of low bleeding off stage, it s- still will feel meaty, yeah. you know? Yeah, Yeah, yeah sa- sure. sound reinforcement, that concept, not only just with, like, individual elements or channels, but literally, like, uh, frequencies within one element, you know, mm-hmm. like letting the amp kind of take the low end and just peppering a little bit of the, the mid range and the high stuff in yeah. the PA to make it, you know, clear for everyone. Right, and of course, someone will then argue, well, they're not going to be in in proper polarity or phase or time alignment. But when you're in a space that small, it's all honestly, fucked anyway. <laughs> you're, you're pretty fucked anyways. Yeah. Exactly, this is shit yeah. bouncing off every. Yeah, wall. your yeah. first reflection is probably going to be as far away from the PA as the amp is. Yeah, the, right. the, these are so. scenarios where, yeah, like a, a properly phase aligned and whatever, you know, all that stuff. You, you do the best you can, obviously, but it's, that stuff kind of goes out the window. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, if you can give these guys an experience, these guys meaning, you know, the crowd, if you can right. give the crowd an experience that is better than they've ever had in that kind of limited space, mm-hmm. then you win. Now, also, take into account the fact that most of your audience has probably been to this venue before. Mm-hmm. Right. And because in theory, they're local ish. Right. And Local-ish. they may have been to this venue before <laughs> and they already have some mental expectation of what this is going to be like. So if we're jumping back into this audio audience expectations thing, they might already know that's a venue that kind of sounds like shit. <laughs> right. Because I know I go into certain places and I'm like, I know that this is yeah. this one's going to be rough. Right. And given that, if you can give them something better than that, you're you really do win. And you yeah. don't have to do a lot to to win that. You know what I mean? Yeah. That goes back to their expectations. Like people your think, goal is to exceed expectations. Yeah, right? your goal is to exceed expectations, and sometimes you're lucky, and people's expectations is if for it to just be shit, or like yeah, right. a cheap, it sound cheap or something like that. And if you can make it happen and make it be- like way better than that, then you're you're golden. You'll get called back. You know. Yeah. Right. So, so the next thing you brought up, Brendan, was mm. symbols. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, Joe, do you have a solution here? Uh, of cymbal bleed out of a fucking of a loud band and a tiny well, just you know, dealing with cymbals in a small room man or on, on an underpowered PA it's tough and like unfortunately how it usually manifests is like making a compromise on my vocal mic preamp gain and, or and and or EQ you know there's going to be some pretty nasty dip in the 3 to 5k range where I wouldn't necessarily need it you know normally that goes for the guitar amps too, you know, and and in the leaned back guitar amps, that same range, you know, it'll, you might, yeah, you're talking compromise. Like a lot of this kind of feels like like a harshness management. 
Yeah, mm-hmm, right. Absolutely. When you're in really small spaces, that's what I feel pain can management. be the roughest part. Yeah, yeah pain management. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> With Brendan, what about you? Yeah. Symbols? Yeah, some EQ on the lead vocal mics. If there's multiple vocal mics, then prodigious like riding of faders on background vocals, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. Oh, yeah. just uh, just put up a pair of overheads. <laughs> Well, that's, that's well, what I was going to say next. No. I was like, I'm surprised you guys haven't been like, kill your overheads. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I, we're I assuming was, that there are no overheads. I was assuming know? no overheads or you yeah. put them up just to make the drummer happy and then you just don't use them. Oh, God. You know, it's, yeah. it's funny. I was going to mention that too, right? Because there are scenarios where it does make sense to have overheads there. And I've, I've hit a bunch of these. Um, I work with this one rock band. We played lots of tiny little rooms, but they have a rad in-ear setup. Mm-hmm. They need overs in their in-ears. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't need it in the house. No, you don't. So we have overheads up, and they always take it in, and they get it into their in-ears and stuff like that. And uh, we don't put it in the house. I don't put it in the house. It's not necessary. Yeah. But I still have the channel there, and I just don't use it. Yeah. You know, don't be afraid to not put something in the house because you don't need it, right? Yeah. The other thing is, and this is a little bit sneaky, my monitor guy drives the overhead in the drummer's ears a little bit too hot mm-hmm. on purpose. So he plays quieter? It makes him play a little quieter. That, is, that, like that, is, that, that is a tip. That yeah. is a good tip. So, you know, your drummer will say, oh, my overheads are a little hot. And be like, okay, okay. You pull them back. Like, is that better? Cool, cool, cool. And then when the gig starts, you can just slide him back in a little bit. <laughs> if he starts playing too hard. Uh-oh. He or she. I keep mm-hmm. I keep doing that. Can I get someone fired? I'm telling you. Yeah, 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 probably. You turn the overheads up. 3DB after sound check. I know you did. Yeah, as opposed to you played it harder. Right. <laughs> right. It's no, the crowd was loud. You were just rocking, man. I'm telling you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, with overheads, it is a tough one, right? Because, I mean, as you guys just demonstrated, basically the challenge is that the, the symbols are in every vocal mic. Yeah. That, that's, that's the gist of it, right? So, you know, physical solutions are taping overheads. They sound like crap when you do that, but it makes them quiet. It's, oh, you it mean socks. taping symbols? Yeah, you can take. Uh, uh, sorry, yeah. did I say taping overheads? Yeah. Taping symbols. <laughs> like, I've seen people do that, and it actually sounded good. Like I think they were just used to playing those kind of gigs, and like this guy had like tape underneath the ride symbol and stuff, mm-hmm. and it was like perfect. It sounded perfect for those environments. You know, mm-hmm. it was like I'll, I'll I'll be honest though, as a sound engineer coming up to a, an artist and saying, "Hey, can you tape that?" It's going to be tough. That's going to be sure. a tough win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if you're friends with the the band. You know the musicians. If you can connect with them on a musician level, it's a little bit simpler to say, you know, these are just killing the mix. Like, I can't put them in the house because they're too loud. Mm -hmm. But if you do X, Y, Z, you can maybe, you know, tame them a little bit and maybe I can get them in the house, right? Mm. This, this, This sounds a little bit manipulative, but sometimes I'll tell people, I can't put this in the house because it's too loud. And then say, if you bring it back, I can put it in the house. Because that feels good. Everyone wants to be in the house. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, they do. They do. Like, that that might sound manipulative, but it is true. Like, if that guitar amp is blazing at me at 105, I can't do it. But if they trim it back to, like, I don't know, 70, I can put it in the house. It's the same It's the same thing with miking everything. Like, a lot of small shows, I mic everything. Like, I mic the, you know, it takes me longer, but I'll mic the guitar amps, even though I know. I'm like... There's not going to be that many people here. <laughs> right. But then there's no way this is going. There's the no house. way this is going in the house. This saxophone is like insanely loud and like they're never going to need it. They don't even have monitors, but I'm putting a mic on it. Let's go because they're going to be like, yes, I'm 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 needed in the speakers. You know, like this is it is. Well, there, there is. Go ahead, Jeff. It is nice to be prepared because also like I've been in situations where it's like, yeah, small club. I'm not putting I will. This guitar amp is so loud. I will never need a mic on it. But then like. 500 people showed up and it's like oversold and sweaty and loud and yeah. it's like oh shit I, guitar I, yeah like exactly <laughs> you know like I should have put a mic on it so well the other thing is is that like uh, I want every musician on stage to feel equally valuable right mm-hmm. and if yeah. everybody gets a mic and then the sax player comes up and they go ah oh, you don't need a mic you're so loud <laughs> like how does that feel yeah, like, from an emotional up. standpoint yeah. you know what I mean like mm-hmm. that guy is now against you yeah mm-hmm. he's like oh okay fine you know you don't want to you don't want to do that hey man how's your show oh, it, was, it was okay but sound guy said okay, but, but, but sound guy said he up. put me in the house you didn't put a mic on oh they're they're never microphone. like that it's usually like just Angry. dagger they just play louder yeah they play louder and they give you <laughs> dagger eyes for the yeah. rest of the night yeah yeah, yeah, they, they point their saxophone right at your ear hole and just go, <laughs> So back to cymbals, though. There are physical solutions, right? Yeah, you can tape them up. That'll reduce decay time. That'll make them quieter. Mm-hmm. Um, if your drummer has this option, 
you can use smaller actual symbols. Smaller actual symbols will decay faster. Uh, they're generally a little bit quieter. Um, you could use dark. That's, darker that's a fun symbols. combo. Hey, do you have any smaller symbols? symbols? I mean, again, you know, it all boils down to like how well you know the people, right? Yeah, if this yeah, is a band true. you work with all the time and, you know, you're doing these club gigs, you can solve this together. Yeah. And you can solve it together by having these conversations saying, if you use smaller symbols, it'll help out. Or if you use darker symbols, it'll help out. Um, it'll make everything sound better. Yeah. Then, of course, you know, you have potential options, things like curtains. If you can put a curtain behind the kit, you prevent some of these symbol sounds mm. from reflecting off the back wall coming mm. forward. If there's a possibility that there's, I don't know, some sort of acoustic treatment in the ceiling, even better. That helps a lot because symbol sound tends to go straight up bounce off that back down there are these little plastic things you can get that are you know shields they have the um, plexi shield yeah and you can either do a full drum shield around the drum kit which is probably going to be kind of tough on small tight stages if we're talking about you know this realistically but they also make small little ones like little ones that are for like amps. I don't know, two feet wide i've for seen amps. those yeah and then i've also uh used the same stuff and mounted it onto a cymbal stand so that you have like a little circle a little disc that's hmm. two feet wide that's just blocking between the cymbal and the vocal microphone. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Brandon, were you about to say something? I was going to say, I have seen those. And also, you could use your um, vocal mic's uh, pickup pattern to your advantage as well. Totally. Like, if you're on a small stage, and, and maybe it's like a trio, maybe the drums go stage right, your lead vocalist is stage left, yeah. no more drums behind it. If you angle a right. little bit, you get a lot less bleed in the... I love that. That was, was going to be the next the next thing I was about to say is mm-hmm. if you can stick drummer stage right, vocalist stage left, or whatever, or even if there are multiple vocals, maybe there's one musician on one side that doesn't have a vocal. If you can get the drummer behind that, it'll help you out. Mm-hmm. You know, so basically move the drums away from vocal mics, or as Brendan said, angle it away. Totally, helps. Lo- totally loud helps. shit in general. Yeah, just get it away from the vocals. Yeah, I um, I've done a few gigs where we have like strings. Uh, and stuff like that, live strings, right? And and a live rocking drummer. And every time, I'm like, please put them on both opposite sides of the stage. Put these guys on this riser on this corner, these guys on this riser on this corner, and I don't want them anywhere near each other. Didn't we do that? It's the same for a bunch of other stuff. Well, didn't we do that one gig with two drummers where there was one drummer on either side and then the orchestra filled in in between them? Yep, that was that was tough. <laughs> that, one, that one was really rough. But anyways, yeah, moving moving loud stuff away from quiet stuff. The other tool for me is my fader. If I know the songs, if I know the band, I'm just going to ride the vocal up and down, catch all the words, pull it back down when it doesn't need to be up. Mm-hmm. Especially with background vocals, um, they're usually not singing. They sing for sections here and there. So if you can learn all those parts, ride it up for that section, pull it back down, get it out, and you keep a cleaner mix in general. You don't end up with a ton of cymbal bleed everywhere. And for the most part, backgrounds, if you have multiple of them, they tend to sing together. Uh, so they'll sing as like a group behind, you know, maybe a chorus and then they'll kind of stop and then they'll sing as a group. So if it makes sense, you can put that onto a VCA or put that onto groups so that one fader controls all three, four, ten background vocals. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good call. You're not chasing around because, you know, they're going to be in 18 different places too. You know, you're just. Right. 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 <laughs> so basically the gist there though is, you know, if a microphone ha- has more bleed in it than signal, pull it down. Yep. Uh, you know, and then there's solutions like, you know, gates primary source expander, that kind yeah. of stuff too. But that, you're, you're getting into more complicated scenarios at that point. Yeah, um, yeah. That, that's, it's maybe not as applicable for, for the tiny PA kind of scenarios. And maybe, and maybe right. not as accessible either, you know. Uh, Brendan, what was the third thing you called out there? You said um, guitar amps, oh. you said cymbals. You know, I also said band versus room. What are rooms doing to all the sound we're putting into it from those cymbals and amps and all that. In a glass house? Uh, I've definitely done uh, a show where the entire back wall was glass and the entire left wall was glass. It was rough. Yeah. It's not a fun one. It was rough. Yeah, you know, so the room. You know, what are are some of your solutions there? I mean, if you have the option of where to place the band, that's always a good thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Or where to place the speakers, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess your goal, right, is you want to point everything at the audience and not at the reflective surfaces mm-hmm. as much as you can right yeah and that even covers like like the ceiling very often i've seen pa where it's very clear that like a bunch of the pa is kind of pointing at the ceiling like mm-hmm. a bunch of it's hitting the ceiling for no good reason yeah mm-hmm. and that's just more reflective sound more stuff bouncing back at you or like the pa is totally straight but there's a wall like three feet to the left of one side of it and three feet to the right of the other side of the pa 
now half of your PA is spitting into that wall. If you kick it in a few degrees, pointing more towards the audience, you get less bounce off of the outside walls and more of it at the audience. Um, but, you know, rooms can be tough. Joe, any, any suggestions there? Less is more, and yeah, we're you know we're talking about all these n- nightmare scenarios where the band is too loud or the the audience is too loud or something like that. I mean, in 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 crappier spaces like that, it's it it really is the the louder it gets a lot of times, just the worse it's going to get. So anything you can do to mitigate the volume, you know, do try it. So when it comes to building a mix for a scenario like this, like Joe, how do you how do you do it? How do you approach it? Well, you know. Again, we're kind of like in the realm of limited scenarios. Maybe you have a smaller mixer with not a lot of channels. Um, you have, a, you know, you have a small PA. Obviously, what's what's the one thing that you absolutely need? You know, that doesn't have an amplifier. Cowbell, <laughs> right? Uh, Gam- the cowbell Gam- mic. No, I mean, Gam- I, 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 I just, I'm saying, I'm saying. <laughs> goes back to episode whatever that was yeah, when we talked about a common one yeah for like five episodes uh, all right yeah the uh, quika mic uh, way up now um it's <laughs> uh it's the vocal you know uh you start there start there and kind of work your way backward it's gonna yeah you know you, you, a lot of times you know the big the big proper sound check you start with the kick drum or whatever but like yeah especially in the in the small pa speakers on stick scenario start with the vocal because all that bleed is going to affect your mix. And like, if you start yeah. setting up some mix with kick drum and bass and guitar and all this shit before you even hear your vocal, it's like, it's almost worthless because the second that vocal comes up, you're going to hear all the bleed and shit on stage, mm-hmm. right? you know, and, and what and you, what you did before is going to go too. out the window. Oh, 100%. Same too. This is not just front of house. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. I kind of like in these situations when the band is actually, they, you know, sometimes it's not optimal for them all to start playing at the same time, but if they're just like hanging out, it's like, more of a relaxed scenario and they're all yeah. playing just start bringing the vocal up so you can get an idea of it before you going into an official sound check and then you're basically like you know where you're at before you right. You, right. you start getting you know, into it you know if, if if we're talking like post line check and making sure everything works and like getting kind of sounds ish i'll do basically brendan exactly what you just said i'll say guys play a song they start playing a song, and I take all the faders all the way out. And I push up the vocal till I hear this nice and clearly over the band. Mm-hmm. And then it's just filling in the bits that need to be filled in. Yeah. You know, add a little bit of kick so that I get a little bit of the attack on, on it through the through the PA, a little bit of low end, add a tiny bit of snare if it's necessary. You know, hi-hat, probably don't need it. Toms I might make really thunderously loud because I just like toms, and they don't get played that often, and, you know, you can kind of get away with it. But then guitars, you know, you just bring it in if you need it. And the thing is, I, I find myself very often, like, taking a fader, and I'll be like, oh, let me push it up, let me minus 20, that's fine. To be honest, if it's at minus 20, I probably don't need it at all. I'm probably just putting it there because I feel like I should. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But if you start with all the important stuff that fills in the bits where you you don't hear clarity, get that kind of sorted... And then um, you at least know the important stuff and the general kind of levels of, of where you're going. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Obviously, get your like DI it. sources, like your keyboards right. and stuff. Because, right. you know, if they don't have amps or whatever, you know, you yeah. got to get those yeah. in there. And then, you know, when in spaces like this, the room changes a lot when it fills up. So if we're, if we're talking underpowered PA or, or tight rooms or things like that, for the most part, the sound gets significantly different once that room fills up. Usually better. And usually better. Usually clearer, right? Because they, they start covering up all these reflective surfaces. Like the floor gets covered up. It's not reflecting as much. Or the meat the baffle. Get, yeah, the meat baffle, right? But at that point, if you've kind of built your mix based on, here's the noise coming from the stage, and I filled in the important things, then when the band actually starts... At bare minimum, you've got the important things filled in, you know, and then you can kind of tweak and slide things in from there. But, uh, Joe, I think you said it. It's like it's proper sound reinforcement at this point as opposed to, like, a full mix all the time. This is the sound reinforcement episode. I I was going to say, like, this will probably come up in a different episode, but I had been mixing in these situations, like, a lot, right, like, when I started. And then when I went, finally went to like a PA and like a festival, you know, where you can't actually hear the band. It's such a big, like, totally different approach. It's insanely different because you're not having to compensate for all the deficiencies with the room and the bleed. And oh, well, the bleed is still there sometimes. It's, but it's it's almost more it's it's more similar to a studio mix at that yeah. point. You know, yeah. you're yeah. you're actually you are actually building it from the ground up. Whereas yeah. sound reinforcement, 
you know, like Brian, like how you laid out, you're you're really just filling in spaces here. No, there are still there. some there are still some things though that like maybe you don't need to reinforce, but there's something you can do in the PA to make it feel more polished. Absolutely. For example, snare drums, right? Snare drums are stupid loud. They're going to reflect off everything. They're going to be picked up a little bit in every single microphone, right? Mm-hmm. But if you leave the snare out of the PA, it might feel weak, right? Because you're not just hearing it coming from a PA and hitting you. You're hearing it reflecting off all these surfaces and eventually getting to you. It doesn't have the same kind of impact or feel. So something I like to do there is maybe get my snare kind of dialed in on a channel and then send it to a reverb and get the reverb into the PA so that the snare still has that long reverby decay, Mm -hmm. but maybe I'm not putting a bunch of snare in the PA because it's just not necessary to turn the volume of that instrument up. But you are getting snare reverb, so it still feels polished and produced. Yeah, a lot of times in these situations, you just change your effect sends to post or to pre-fader rather than post, you know? So Mm -hmm. you can have your snare either down or all the way out and still get some verb. I do that with horns a lot too. Because horns yeah. are super loud in the room. Oh yeah, just a little reverb, huh? Just, just mm-hmm. or a shit ton of reverb, or and then you got ton. that direct sound, and you've got that lush ass like horn reverb. Like yeah. I, I love doing that. That's yeah. cool. I like that. Yeah, there are a lot of cool little tricks like that that can make it feel more produced without having to build a full mix of everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. Also, you know, like uh, yeah, th- something like ju- just routing a kick drum just to just to a sub. Or something like right. that, you know. Uh, it, a lot of times, if it's a small space and the drummer's playing hard, especially like you're hearing a lot of attack and a lot of, you know, everything above two hundred. You're hearing a lot of that already, right. just straight off the stage. So like maybe just mm-hmm. juice a little bit to the sub to give it that like, you know, to so that it is on par with the amps and everything else being put through the PA. You know, whenever I'm in a scenario like this, um, and I'll use that band, uh, that rock band that I deal with. Uh, reasonably regularly again as, as an example we did a gig i think it was chicago and they have there's three guitar players in the band this bass there's uh keys uh four vocals happen amongst them and then drums yeah. right so it's it's a lot it's there's, there's a good amount of stuff we went into this venue in chicago where i swear the pa was uh, a single ten and a horn was the box and then there was two of those boxes on each side and that was it there was that and, and there was some subs mm-hmm. and I, it was all homemade so first of all, there's that. Yeah. It was it was hectic, right? And with this band, we had done quite a few shows, and I'm using a pretty nice rig. So I've I've done virtual sound checks and gotten things all dialed in, right? We now hit all of these troubles that we're describing here, where I'm like, I need to get the vocal over it, and I need to make it so that I'm not blowing up this rig to try and make it louder than the stage, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess the trick I kind of picked up there was, okay, my vocals go around my mains bus, right? And they feed straight to a matrix, or, or rather, they go to a group that goes to a matrix that goes straight to the PA, right? So that way, my vocals can get to the PA without being affected by what's on my mains left-right bus. Mm. So for this band, in this show, the PA was so limited in terms of like what it was physically able to produce sound-wise that rather than letting the PA start doing that limitation and kind of push back, I just put a limiter on my main mix, right? Mm -hmm. And again, the main mix is just the band. So the vocals are going past this limiter. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, I could let that limiter like actually hit it a decent amount. Pump it. And it kind of feels like a record mix. And you can push that in. And I'm never going to hit the limit of the speaker itself. I mean, or I'll be sitting on the limit, but never (laughs) exceeding it, right? (laughs) But you're you're not going to end up in a scenario where the speaker or the amps or any of those things are actually limiting back at you. Instead, you're in control of it. Yeah. So in that scenario, I basically limited my own band and left it so that the vocals push through so that if we did ever hit the limiter of the amp or the limiter of the speaker itself, it's because the vocals were pushing through farther than the band. Mm-hmm. And then that limit would push back the band a little bit more and leave the vocal on top if, if needed. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, that's a great technique to you know, compensate for a loud ass band, you know, when you're trying to get the vocals over it or, or just like to do in general, you know? Uh, yeah. We've, we've talked about this in, in even for bigger mixes, you know, even doing yeah. a situation like that with the matrixes and feeding, you know, the vocal group separately from the left, right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, speaking of the feeding things separately, right. What about the situation that you mentioned earlier, underpowered subs, right? So you can go into some of these clubs and, you know, PA is okay or whatever, but maybe the subs are just ancient, or maybe they're just, you know, configured in a really bad way. Maybe there's just physically not enough of it. 
and you have this idea in your head of this is going to be a banging show and it's going to be kicking. Mm-hmm. And you try and put some low end through this and and systems engineer house guys is like, you're at limit. You can't go more than that. You're about to blow up my subs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you do there? You know, yeah, you're, again, super, we're, we're in, in the scenario where you're super limited. So your ability to do this may be, may be limited. But, you know, at that point, you can kind of think about just adjusting the the color of your overall mix and the and kind of like the the general kind of uh, sweet spots and and frequency content of your mix it might you might need to remove that warmth from the ultra low stuff the subby stuff that those you know underpowered subs aren't necessarily reproducing in a pleasing way and 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 find other areas where it does knock a little bit harder or there maybe some there's some node somewhere around 100 hertz that you can really utilize and and get some of that bump and warmth um yeah j- j- but but i guess just yeah just in general just kind of like changing your expectations and your perception yeah. on on what your mix is going to be and going for you know and and altering it slightly and it's and ideally it's still being in context with itself in a way that like makes sense and and sounds in a way you feel good about yeah yeah and in a way that sounds you know that doesn't sound crazy you know it sounds yeah, yeah natural ish also, just leaving as much room as possible for your, you know, what you're putting into the sub, like yeah, maybe putting on an aux and just sending your kick drum to it, or like right, yeah, if you, you know, haven't done you've that, got, when you when you've got you know insane amounts of sub available to you, you can kind of send a little bit of everything there, and it kind of works okay, right? But when you don't have that much, you got to be kind of picky about what gets there, yeah, and, and you want those important things to make it through. Uh, typically, when I find that there's not enough sub, it's not simply that there's not enough sub it might be that i'm also sending a bunch of like 30 to 50 hertz Mm -hmm. into that sub and that sub just can't make that sound but i'm clipping the amps by trying to get it to do that so you can like i don't know high pass out some of that low stuff that the sub's just simply not making absolutely and if you want to figure out what that sub's capable of doing you can send it pink noise and you can send the noise there and then take a high pass and start rolling it around and you go oh when when did this actually affect the sound yeah. You might find that the sub is doing nothing below 50. And if it's doing nothing below 50, you don't even need to send it to it because you're just wasting headroom on the amp. Yeah. You will hear a difference in clarity by literally high-passing it. It sounds counterintuitive, removing low end to, like, literally make it bump more, but it's yeah. it's true, you know? But, you know, subs also aren't—they tend not to be perfectly linear, right? It's not like they put out the same amount of 40 hertz as they do 60, as they do 80, et cetera. So if you're in a scenario where your subs are super limited, maybe, like, I like my kick drums to be pretty low, like 60 hertz and a little bit of meat below that, 40, 50, like, really quite subby. Yeah. But maybe I'm in a scenario where the sub just can't do that. So I might take my kick signal, send it to it, and just kind of make a narrow peak, just a, a, a boost, and just kind of tweak it around until that sub actually does start kicking. Mm-hmm. You might find that that sub at 90 has a ton of power, and it can really hit. Mm-hmm. And if that's what makes it so that you can feel your low end, yeah, it's a compromise from the idea that I thought I wanted out of my sub, but it allows it to hit, and it's better than it not hitting, and it's better than it being in limit. Compromise, you know? Yeah. So, you know, find the, find the spot where that where those instruments can work in there and, you know, try and try and optimize for that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. High pass is your friend also. You, you know, another thing I've done specifically with kicks is... Uh, duplicated it to multiple channels and sent one to the main PA and another one to the sub. On your and they're EQ'd completely differently on, for each. On your four-channel mixer? On my four-channel <laughs> mixer, yeah. I used a Y-split, man. <laughs> That's sick. Three of those channels were kick. One of them was yeah, vocal. right. Perfect. Hell yeah. Perfect metal mix, man. Guitar player was stoked. <laughs> Guitar player was stoked. I put a microphone in front of his cab. He's like, which channel do I show up on? Uh, oh, um, uh, <laughs> five. Exactly, channel five. Yeah. No, but... Um, you can take channels and send one version of the channel to sub only, and you can kind of optimize the EQ so that it kicks really well in that sub. And then take another version of it, maybe boost 100 hertz a bunch in a narrow thing so that your main PA can also give you a little bit of that punch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can totally yeah. do stuff like that. It is, yeah. Sometimes if you are dealing a situation where you have no sub at all, adding a little bit of that 100 hertz, you know, on like QSC, K10s, 12, stuff like that. Like, yeah, you know, it, it helps. You can get them to kick. It'll, It'll slap. slap. It'll yeah. slap. Now, I'm not saying this is the best thing you can be doing for a large scale mix, but this might be what's necessary to get something that feels right with this limited system. Get it done. Just get, get it done. Just get it done. 
So, Joe, you know, what about that five-channel mixer? Or was it a four-channel mixer? It was four. a four-channel mixer. I think it was four-channel with a Phantom 5 for guitar. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So what happens when you are super limited on channels? Is it right. just, it's two mic inputs and then two, like, stereo quarter-inch inputs? <laughs> yeah, Is two that line inputs, yeah. and oh, I got to use God. that adapter. Yeah. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> it's uh, actually four line inputs because they're stereo, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is where you need to prioritize. You know, you're you're probably, you're you know, one of those is going to be a vocal, unless it's an instrumental band. I mean, at least, you know, you, you need to prioritize what you can't hear when the band is playing without the PA. And you probably shouldn't put that vocal on that Phantom 5th channel. No, I, I know. You don't want to. You don't want to. <laughs> yeah. The, the, sing, the vocals is going to know, you know, whereas a guitar player may not. Yeah. Pr- prioritize and really try to think about how the band or, you know, yeah, we're, we're talking about music here. Uh, really try to focus on how the band sounds without you and, you know, and, and ascertain what needs to be audible. Like what, what, you know, what are the, what are the four things that, you know, what are four, what are not the four things, but what are four things that are going to benefit the most from being able to hear that I can't hear right now? You know? Kick drum, kick drum, kick drum. Yeah. And vocal. Four channels, four, four <laughs> Y split kick drums occupying different frequencies. Um, you know, and the decision can sometimes be really easy, right? Like maybe you got a DI keyboard that doesn't have an amp. Obviously, that's going to take up a channel. Does it need to take up two because it's stereo? No, but it can take up one. Absolutely. And then vocal, obviously, if it doesn't have some sort of amplification on stage, that's going to be one of the things. Yeah, yeah. The decision might be made for you. It's four vocalists. Okay, well, there we go. It's that's Those are the four channels. That's it. Sorry, y'all. Like, what, what are you going to do? And, you know, it's not really as simple as, like, what is the quiet thing on stage that I need to make loud? Because, yeah, maybe there's chimes by the drum kit, but you don't need to mic that True. through the PA. True, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, you're, you're picking the really important things that need to be loud. Yeah. Brandon, you laughing at my chimes comment? Mm-hmm. Is it because I just mentioned chimes way too often? Oh, you fuck, hate I, chimes. This was the moment I was supposed to have it on my SPD so I could play it. Oh, shit. shit. <laughs> well, put, well, put it in. Put, I'll edit this episode. Okay, cut cool. this out and I'll edit it in. Okay. <laughs> so you guys I, just I really hope when I listen to this later that's here, actually You guys you guys start laughing like I just played the chimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect. You're not right. amused. All right, l- l- let's talk about beyond channel limitations, right? So, you know, sometimes you've got smaller analog mixers, sometimes you've got smaller digital mixers. But um I don't know, you only have like one quote-unquote rack slot or effect slot or two or or for some reason, you don't have gates and comps on every channel. Instead, you have two of those little DBX, you know, dual units or something. Mm-hmm. What do you start doing in these spots? I would say, again, you really just need to ascertain what the needs are. It's really easy in building full, bigger, fuller mixes to, like, fall into your usual routine. Like, yeah, you know, compressor or gate on the kick, you know, this or that. Really, you know, when, when you just have one or two... You really just need to to listen and and try to understand what would benefit the most from it. You know, um, if the vocalists, you know, we always talk about compressing vocal and and something like that. The vocalist is is belting all the time and is singing the same volume all the time. Maybe you can get away with not having a compressor. You know, and and maybe the the instead the the bass that went di into the pa is. Uh, sounding really thin and, and wonky because there's no amp and like and that needs to be compressed and saturated a little bit you know it's like you gotta maybe using it on that is a better idea you know usually when you're in a limited scenario like that um you know you you've got how do i word this you know typically i find to be in a limited scenario like that when it is a smaller analog desk and you have very little amount of outboard available to you right obviously there's the digital version of this too but when that's the case I try to get as much out of that little bit of outboard as I possibly can. And yeah. the way for me to do that is to put it on groups. Groups, yeah. Yeah, true. So, Good call. you know, I might have a kick mic. I might have a snare mic. They both route to group one. That group one might have a gate slash comp on it. Then I can, if I need to, tweak up a little bit of gate on it and get a little bit of compression from both of them together. Uh, I might have multiple vocals routed into group four, and that might have a comp on it. And then, you know, you ride your faders and you push them into it, and that comp kind of tames it back. You know, uh, it's it's the way I've found is the easiest to get the most power out of super limited amount of stuff. No, that's you huge. Know? You're absolutely right, 100%. Yeah. I don't Although know. I'll, I'll say it's also probably been 20 years since I've had to do that. Oh. Oh, well, holy, holy, <laughs> oh. Yeah, All right, guy. maybe not 20, but... 
but probably easily can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Put you can put kick and snare on the same group. Guess what? They very rarely get played at the same time, you know? Mm-hmm. And you can, you know, and, and you they're probably being hit around the same, roughly the same, you know, I'm generalizing, level, but, you know, yeah, you can yeah. you can get away with that a lot. It's great. Totally. Go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. I was going to say, what if what if we don't have all the effects we want? What are we supposed to do if we only have... You're supposed to throw your arms up in the air and quit. Mm. Duh. There's not enough reverb for this bass. I need my 16 verbs, and if I don't get them, I will not take off my white gloves. <laughs> you know, I think that that probably comes up more often than than not. You know, limited limited amount of rack effects and limited amount of effects units. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say, Brandon? Yeah, I mean, most most small clubs that I've worked in that the situation is present, usually they'll, like, route them mono, you know? Yeah. Which, then you get two reverbs out of one if you want it. Yeah, so, so that's a good point, right? You've got a bunch of these often stereo effects units, right? You don't have to send into it stereo. You can send into it mono. You can return from it stereo. You can return from it mono. If you're really limited on channels or sends, you can do mono out and back. Mm-hmm. Like, in Just, a smaller room like that, you're not going to get a ton out of having a stereo reverb anyways. Yeah. So it can be helpful to, you know, just go mono on some of these things so you can get them in. Mm-hmm. But what if what if you just only have, I don't know, two effects units, period? Um, you know, where where do you guys find the value there? I mean, it is what it is at that point, you know. It's like I got I got two, you know. I'll I'll program them differently if the, if there's only two, you know. Yeah, I mean it's you know at that point you're you're just at at the mercy of what you have, you know, and you just have to kind of make do and cut it where you know a couple, you know, it might need to be that the the snare and the vocals are in the same reverb, you know. Well, and I mean in that small space, technically they are. If your vocal mic is picking up that snare bleed and the drum bleed, <laughs> you're, you're getting sorry, it's sorry, you're getting anyway. reverb on all the drums. Yeah. It's for free. You don't even have mix. to. You don't yeah. even have to send to it from the snare. It's already you get the vocal. It's a freebie. Yeah, for you. I mean, you know, when it's limited to to something like that. Uh, I'll usually forego reverbs on a lot of stuff. Yeah. And instead, just use the really important one. So maybe that's a longer one on the lead vocal. Something that's actually going to be audible and valuable in the context of this smaller, noisier space, right? Mm -hmm. Super short reverbs aren't going to do as much for you there unless you're doing like some sort of super short reverb for a snare or something like that. Yeah. But, you know, a longer, more audible reverb, that's probably going to be my send number one. Number two, depending on the context of the music, is probably going to be a delay if that's the kind of thing that's necessary on a vocal. Mm-hmm. But if it's not, then maybe it'll be a different kind of reverb and something that uh, we can use for that phantom snare that we had mentioned earlier. Yeah. Or can even use to add a little bit of guitar into the, the PA too so that it feels like there's some guitar there, but maybe it's not, um, not in the same way, you know, not, not direct sound. Mm-hmm. But that actually reminds me, not to totally digress, but... Uh, if I have a really small PA and I've got actual loud guitar amps on uh, on stage, my guitar amp that's on house right, I might put it into a touch of the house left PA. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My guitar amp that's on house left, I might put it into a touch of the house right PA so that at least both sides of the audience hear it a little bit, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I, th- I feel like that's a, th- a thing we skipped over. That we, is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, good, yeah, no, that's a good one. A, yeah, it's a good call, especially if it gets crowded, you know? Then it's hard for the people on the left side to hear. Yeah, all right. the way. They're getting the right, they're getting yeah. beamed by stage right guitar players. Yeah. Amp, and you know, and 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 another trick that I feel like people do not use enough in a lot of those smaller spaces, right? Like uh, vocals end up in front of the PA or whatever. When your vocalist goes in front of the PA, don't just turn your vocalist down. Pan it. Pan him to the other side. Yeah. Pan him or her to the other side. I do that all the time. I do that on like massive outdoor festivals. Yeah, absolutely. All the time. <laughs> Pull it out of the front fills or like, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to just turn it down. And I know that, you know, sometimes depending on how you've got routing set up and stuff, it can be more complicated to just pan. Mm-hmm. But it is totally, totally worth it to just grab that pan knob and your vocalist hops out to the left, pan it to the right. Everyone can still hear it, even your vocalist, and mm-hmm. it you don't hit feedback problems. Same for vice versa, whatever. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's kind of like the gist of, for me, th- some of the tools that, that get me through a, a, a rough, small gig. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anything you guys feel like we need to add? I mean, I guess just like these are these gigs, like just see the value in them as like experiences to like really learn in troubleshooting, you know? 
like that's that's a huge part of it. Yeah, um, yeah. D- don't take them for granted. A lot of the stuff we talked about is like, yeah, there, there's like heavy listening. Almost, almost more. All, the the critical listening aspect is almost more important in making decisions for mm-hmm. these smaller gigs than like than like a bigger one where you have all the tools at your disposal. Totally. You know, because yeah. you, because of your limitations and having to eliminate things here or there. And and you know, less is more, as we said before. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to take a channel completely out of the PA. And then also. Don't be afraid if a channel sounds crazy when you cue it up or anything like that, because in the context of the space with the sound coming off the stage, it might sound perfect. It might work just mm-hmm. fine. Maybe you scooped out a ton of stuff in the mid-range or a ton of stuff in the low. And when you put it in headphones, it sounds crazy. But once that mid-range or low end is bleeding off the stage, it feels right. Uh, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of going kind of extreme in some of these scenarios. Yeah, yeah. Specifically with EQ stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Cool. Um, if any of you guys get fired because of our suggestions, uh, you can uh, my fault. email. It's Ryan's fault. It? Info, info at Live Sound Bootcamp. <laughs> Great. And then feedback, Ryan, John. feedback <laughs> at Live Sound Bootcamp. Dr. There you Ryan. go. Feedback at Live Sound Bootcamp. A very appropriate name. Why did you pick that? That seems so bad. It's great. It's perfect. Because that's what we, we all love to make. It's a du- that's a double meeting, Ryan. You wouldn't, you wouldn't get it. It's you wouldn't good. get it. <laughs> yeah, it's the same. Yeah. Here I am thinking it was accidental. It was on purpose. I'm the asshole. It's fine. <laughs> but cool. yeah, if you guys do want to get in touch, you know, let us know. If you if you got ideas for episodes and stuff like that, things you want to talk to us about, advice, blah, 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 etc. You know, get in touch. Yeah. And uh we'll see you when we come back with season two. Take it easy. Be safe. Thank you for listening to Live Sound Bootcamp. Want to get in touch? Join our Facebook group or send us an email via feedback at livesoundbootcamp.com. Love the show? Give us a review on Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support this show by supporting them. And for more shows like this, visit prosoundweb.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, Rational Acoustics. Visit www.rationalacoustics.com for information on sales, training, and all things system measurement.